Well, I'm so glad that you made it this evening. Aren't you glad to be here? Yeah? Dr. Allen, I'm going to have you just uh, jump right up here again. Many of these folks have seen you. There's some returners here. We have some folks that are here for the first time tonight. And so I'm just going to say they're in for a treat. All right? So why don't you come on up here? I, I was going to let them know. You can, you can come all the way up to the – this is uh, – the stage is a little closer to all these folks. You'll get to see them really up tight. But uh, this morning – um, uh, when we talk about what we're getting ready to uh, share, and, you know, um, you revealed that you write most of my sermons for me. Yeah. I was, I was actually yeah. really blessed by that. Were you? <laughs> that improved them by 90% right there on the spot. So, um, but we get to, to talk a little bit about what we want to share and what it is that we're seeing in, in God's word. But this morning, I was just profoundly blessed. Uh, really impacted by what you taught on godliness, and uh, and then when you shared what you were getting ready to, just a glimpse of what you're getting ready to share this evening, uh, I was thankful once again for your ability to exegete the Word of God and draw things out. Uh, I just continually learn uh, in your presence, and so I'm well, blessed by you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank I'm very you thankful. kindly. Um, if you weren't here this morning, uh, you got to go online and listen to it. All right, that's an edict. <laughs> uh, it was outstanding. Uh, let me pray. Okay, and, uh, absolutely. So, Father, we are so thankful for the way that uh, your word does transform our hearts, the way that it causes us to think differently about the world that's around us. And um, I thank you for this morning, for um, the way that you use the word to impact so many people as they were uh, walking out, just what it means to be godly, not just a negative expectation, what it is that we don't want to do, um, but, Father, the way that we are called to live a certain way, uh, to be actively about being godly. And I pray, Father, that as we uh, hear even a little bit more about that this evening, that we'd be challenged, um, but beyond a curiosity, beyond hearing something that tickles our ears uh, or, or uh, tweaks our thinking a little bit, Father, help it to change the way that we live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel, after you said those kind things, I feel awful about what I did to you this morning. <laughs> I just, I feel terrible. Well, not too terrible, but thank you, Pastor, for that. Thank you for the invitation again to be with you today with the people of this wonderful church today. It's a joy, privilege to be here, as always, and I never want to stand before this congregation and begin a sermon without expressing the gratitude that Kate and I feel for the always open arms hospitality that you all uh, extend to us uh, when we come uh, to this wonderful church in Salem, Oregon. And so I want you to always know that. We think of you, we talk about you, uh, we talk about how exciting it is to be here, we talk about what the Lord is doing here because we keep up with your pastor and his wife and your, uh, the staff and elders and we hear from them occasionally and we know that God is doing great and wonderful things in this church and he is not doing in other churches in some churches what's happening in this church and that's not the Lord's fault by the way in most cases either in fact in no cases is it the Lord's fault because sometimes the people of God as we're going to discover tonight, sometimes the leaders of God 
are just not what they ought to be. And when the leaders are not what they ought to be, the people seldom can be what they ought to be. And that is not the case here. And so I could stand and I could brag on your pastor and mean every word of it and be every word of integrity if I were to say all of the great things that I could say because I do believe he is a man of God. And I believe he is seeking to follow the Lord. I believe that about your church staff. I really do. God is good and done wonderful things and is doing, present tense, wonderful things here. And we're very excited to pray for you and uh, to see what God uh, is doing. Every time we have the privilege of being here, it is a joy, isn't it, Kate? It is a joy for us to be here. And uh, uh, Brendan, where did he get off to? Where are you, buddy? Well, you know, the last time, or the first time, I saw Brendan and met Brendan, he was a kid. I mean, I don't know, he's probably 10, 11, 12 years old, I guess, first time I ever met him. And now he's standing up here, he's a young man, He's leading uh, in worship, and it's a great joy to see that taking place as well. And I know that makes uh, Papa and Mama feel good to see that happening. And Do children grow up? That's one thing about it. They do grow up, and they grow up, and they go out, and we pray the Lord uses them. And I believe the Lord is using Brendan and will continue to do so. And I could say many wonderful things, of course, about all of your children. Uh, as well, but what a wonderful, sweet family and friend that you've been, you, you all have been to me and my family through the years, and then to Kate and me these last two and one half years. So we are grateful, grateful to the Lord for you. Now, I do want you to turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and I want you to find your place in the third chapter, though we'll look back a couple of chapters as well in a moment. 1 Samuel chapter 3 records the call of God on the life of young Samuel. Now for all of you in here who are people who were raised in church when you were children, this is a Bible story you were taught very early on in Sunday school. You may, like me, remember the picture on the Sunday school wall that would occasionally appear when we were children of little Samuel in his bed, about in his clothes, in his bed clothes, and there's the Lord standing, the bright light, and the Lord is speaking to him, and there is the caption, and you read the words that Samuel, the child, who at that point was probably somewhere around the age of 12 to no more than 15, responds and says, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And we all know that story. But I wonder how often you've thought about that story in your adult life, those of you that are adults, and that would be everybody in here tonight. Or, as Kate asked me one time, how many sermons do you ever hear preached on 1 Samuel 3? Uh, I'm not sure I've heard one preached on, that I can remember preached on 1 Samuel chapter 3. There is more here uh, than meets the eye and more than meets the ear. And so tonight, because this is the Word of God, we are allowed to listen in 
on the Lord's call to young Samuel. And in the process, we are, I think, allowed to hear from the Lord some things, some truths, some principles that he wants to say to us and remind us today that he too is speaking to us. And he's asking us, he's calling us, and he's speaking to us. And he's wondering, are we listening? Can we respond to him the way young Samuel responded? And so we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I want to read the chapter. And then I want to give a little backstory to the chapter before we walk our way through it tonight. All right? 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down once again. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. I didn't call my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came, stood, and called as before. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from the beginning to the end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Imagine if you're a 12-year-old boy, and this is what you hear the Lord tell you. So Samuel lay down until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, here am I, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, He is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. 
Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. Ten years ago, on The Voice, a woman walked out on stage in front of Simon and all of the others who were there in order to audition and to sing on The Voice. Her name was Susan Boyle. She came out. She looked a little frumpy, her hair was maybe not exactly what it could be, and, and when she spoke, she had a, a different kind of a voice with an interesting uh, a British accent, and you could tell that by the way they were engaging her, Simon and the other three judges were not too impressed and weren't sure that anything was ever going to come of this. They asked her, what will you sing? What do you plan to sing? She said, I plan to sing, I have a dream from Les Miserables. From the moment she opened her mouth and the first sounds came. If you saw it, I did not, Kate did. I've seen it since on YouTube. And you heard that voice. You were astounded at its quality. She sang pristine, beautifully, and astounded the judges and the audience that day on The Voice, and she was launched into a remarkable career. Just a lady and her cat living alone, 47 years of age, stunned the world that day on The Voice. They didn't expect much from her voice but she surprised them. Rewind back a few thousand years in Israel's history to that little sliver of land over there that we call Israel, 175 miles long, 75 miles wide, and locate yourself about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. And there is a little town there if you can call it a town, called Shiloh. And in Shiloh is the tabernacle at that time, the, what would later become the temple, the tabernacle of the Lord. And Jewish families would come as they were commanded by the law. They were supposed to come three times a year. Husbands, wives, fathers, children, families to worship. But it was the period of the judges, a time of spiritual declension, and instead of coming three times a year, most Jewish families came only once. And so there was a man by the name of Elkanah, and he was married to his wife, and she was not able to have children. And like so many during that time, Elkanah had another wife, he had two wives. His other wife, Penina, had children. 
But this woman, Hannah, had no children. And she was deeply wounded and disturbed by her condition of not being able to bear children. Every woman in this room who has ever been or is in that condition and situation knows the burden. The men here don't really understand. We don't. We can't. But every woman here does, knows the burden of what that was like, the pain of that experience, wanting to have children and not being able to have children. And so we are told in chapter 1, and the backstory here is very important, we're told that Hannah came with her husband that time on that trip, that annual trip to the Shiloh, middle of nowhere, craggy rocks everywhere, a little bit of greenery around, a little town, and there was the tabernacle of the Lord, and they came to worship. And Hannah was so deeply burdened that she couldn't have children that she came into the presence of the Lord, we're told, in verse 12 of chapter 1. She came into the presence of the Lord and she poured out her heart to God in prayer silently. No words flowed from her mouth, just her lips moved. The old priest, Eli, who was there observing the worshipers coming and going, saw her and made a gross error in judgment. He assumed that she had been drinking, that she was drunk. When he saw her condition, her emotional condition and her lips moving but no words coming, he chided her, called out to her, verse 14, How long are you going to be drunk, girl? Get rid of your wine. Can you imagine? Here you are, the circumstances you're in, and now the Lord's high priest Gets it wrong too. And he fusses at you for coming to church. Thinks you're inebriated. And Hannah replies in verse 15. She says, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I've not had any wine or alcoholic drink. I've been pouring my heart out before the Lord. Verse 15. And then she says this in verse 16. Don't think of me as a, and my translation says, a wicked woman. Now in Hebrew... The word there is, I am not a daughter of Belial. Now your translation probably doesn't say that, unless it's a literal trans, more literal translation. She said to Eli, I'm not a wicked woman. I'm not a daughter of Belial. Belial was a word that was used to describe, it was it's actually a word that comes to be used for Satan, but it is a word that means a worthless and wicked person. Think of those two words, worthless and wicked. I'm not a daughter of Belial. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment against her husband's other wife who made fun of her because she couldn't have children. Can you imagine? Eli made a mistake and understood it then. He tells her to go in peace and may God grant your request. Well, the rest of the story in chapter 1 is that God opens her womb, and she becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to a son. And she gives him the name Samuel. 
The name Samuel is a Hebrew word that essentially means heard of God. Because God heard her prayer, she named her boy after Samuel or after God's hearing of her prayer. And in her prayer, she had told the Lord that if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. He's yours, Lord. I'll give him back to you. And so now that the Lord has opened her womb, Hannah keeps her vow that she made before the Lord. And she said, I will take him, in verse 22, I will take him to the Lord's presence, uh, and he will stay there permanently. After I wean him, I will take him to the Lord's presence, and he'll stay there permanently. Well, for the next two to three years, somewhere in that neighborhood, Hannah nursed and weaned her son. That was very common in that particular part of the world, that particular time in Israel's history. A, a child would be weaned for two, sometimes up to uh, three years, or be weaned at three years. And so Elkanah goes back every year, but Hannah stays home with the new baby until she weans him. And then we come to the end of chapter 1, and she brings him to Eli and presents him and says, As sure as I live, I'm the woman who prayed that day for that boy. And here he is, and I'm giving the boy to the Lord. Verse 28 of chapter 1, as long as he lives, he's given to the Lord. And then don't miss this. Then he worshiped the Lord there. That, the antecedent of the word he there is Samuel. So here is young Samuel. He's three years old. And he's brought to the Lord, and he begins to worship the Lord there. And then we have in chapter 2, Hannah's triumphant prayer. And in her prayer, she says a number of things. But one of the things that she says in verse 6, I want you to notice, the Lord brings death and the Lord gives life. He sends some down and he raises others up. That's about to be exactly what will happen. And so we come to the end of chapter 2. At the end of Hannah's triumphant prayer, we read in verse 11 that uh, Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy served the Lord, watch it, in the presence of Eli. Then we are told in verse 12 of chapter 2 something that's also critical to understand. Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord. Do you see that? Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord. Again, that phrase wicked men there, literally in Hebrew, is Eli's sons were sons of Belial. You might want to think about it. in the, This is the Hebrew way of saying they were sons of Belial. S-O-Bs is what they were. They were wicked and they were worthless. Now do you see what's happening? When Eli saw Hannah, thinking she was drunk, he thought she was a wicked and worthless type person. And she responded to him and said, I am not a daughter of Belial. The very one who was criticizing her had sons of Belial himself. Because his two sons were in the ministry. His two sons were not doing what they should be doing in the ministry. Hophni and Phinehas were also priests. 
And the Bible makes it clear that his boys, Eli was fine, but his boys were sons of Belial. They did not respect the Lord. And the rest of chapter 2 explains why they didn't. People would come, they would bring their meat offering. And there were certain restrictions and rules that God had given to Moses to give to the people years ago about here's how you worship the Lord. You bring your offering and you bring the meat with the, the whole meat, raw meat, fat and everything. And then you put it in the pot and you boil it. And then you burn off and cook off the fat. That's the Lord's portion. And then the priests have a portion. They bring a three-pronged pork, fork and thrust it into the meat in the pot after it's boiled. And what comes up of the meat, that's for the priest and his family to eat. And then the rest of the meat goes with that family who brought that offering. And they go to a table there around the tabernacle. And they have a fellowship feast and they worship the Lord. That's the way it was. But Hophni and Phinehas were coming to the people bringing their food. And before it was fully boiled, they would take it out, and sometimes the raw meat, we are told, and they would take more than their portion. They would steal from the people as the preachers of God, the ministers of God, the priests of God, and they were also stealing from God is what they were doing. They were sons of Belial. They were worthless men. And verse 17 of chapter 2 says, They and their servants' sin was severe in the presence of the Lord. You notice how many things are happening in the presence of the Lord? And by the way, everything happens in the presence of the Lord. Everything. Hannah's prayer was in the presence of the Lord. She promised to give him to serve in the presence of the Lord. He comes and serves in the presence of the priest Eli, Samuel does. And what Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, what they were doing that was evil, was being done in the presence of the Lord. And then the very next verse, verse 18 of chapter 2, Samuel served in the Lord's presence. Look at this. We have grown men, priests, they're serving in the presence of the Lord, and they're evil in the Lord's sight. And then there's the little boy, somewhere around the age of 12, Samuel. He's serving in the presence of the Lord. As time goes by each year, as he goes by from age 3 to 12 or so. And then the precious touch. He wore a linen ephod in verse 18. That's a little white robe like all the priests wore. So you see the priests doing their duties, and then there's little Samuel. He's five, he's six, next year he's seven, then he's eight, and he's wearing that little robe, that ephod. And then each year, verse 19, his mother made him a little robe, took it to him every year when she came with her husband to offer the animal sacrifice. All you ladies say with me, oh. Can't you see it? This godly mother who gave him to the Lord. Every year he grows a little bit, and every year when she and her husband come, and by the way, the Lord opened her womb, and she had five more children herself. But her oldest is now serving the Lord, and she brings him some new clothes. At age five, at age six, some more new clothes. At age seven, some more. She brings those clothes as the little boy is growing in the presence of the Lord. Not only were 
Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, cheating the people out of, in their worship, stealing the offering, stealing from the offering plate would be the equivalent. Not only were they doing that, but the young virgin women who were assisting in the temple, they were sleeping with them too. They committed two great sins according to chapter 2. They committed the sin of sacrificial abuse and the sin of sexual abuse. They were violating the young women who were working, serving the Lord in the temple. And God sent a prophet to Eli and he said, I've had it. In fact, the Hebrew is very clear. It doesn't, it, it, in, our, in our language, what God was saying through the, the prophet, an unnamed prophet who came to Eli to tell him, your boys are dead. I'm going to destroy your family. Basically, it's this verbally. God said, I've had it. That's it. You've destroyed, you've cheated my people. You're violating my word. And so verse 25 says, the Lord intended to kill them. By contrast, verse 26, by contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with God, with the Lord, and with people. By the way, does that sound familiar? Have you ever read that anywhere else? How about Luke's gospel chapter 2? Toward the end of Luke's gospel, that's what we read about Jesus. That he grew in stature and in favor with God and with man. And so God condemns Eli's sons and says, I'm going to terminate your family. I'm going to take away the priesthood from your family, Eli. And your boys are going to die. So we come to chapter 3. The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. Now, wait a minute. Earlier, he was serving the Lord in the Lord's presence. But now he's serving the Lord in Eli's presence. Eli, of course, he's been serving in Eli's presence as well. He's been serving both. He's the young protege of Eli, the priest. And then we are told, in those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. The word of the Lord was rare. God used to speak face to face to Moses, but those days were gone. God used to speak directly to Joshua as they brought the people into the promised land. But those days were gone. Now for 300 years, we're in a period called the Judges. And this particular occasion is the very tail end of that 300-year period of spiritual declension and spiritual failure where the leadership of God is not what it should be. Here is Eli's own sons are wicked men. They're sons of Belial. And the people are doing that which was right in their own eyes. In fact, the last verse of Judges describes what was going on in this period. Everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. No spiritual order, no revival. And there was also silence from the Lord in the land. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. And then we come to one of the most precious night scenes of the Bible. Beginning in verse 2, Eli, we are told, was old. His eyesight was failing. He was lying in his usual place. 
The priest's quarters were right beside, right outside in, in separate quarters from the tabernacle, holy place, and the holy of holies. His room is right close by. And notice we are told, before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. That doesn't mean that Samuel was in the holy place. I mean the Holy of Holies, but it probably means he was bedded down, maybe in the holy place, but for sure in a room right beside the holy place because it was Samuel who every morning and evening opened and closed the tent flaps, the doors, for the priests to come in and do their work and go out. And furthermore, because the high priest stayed close just off the way and because Eli was old, he needed Samuel on occasion. And so little Samuel is close to where he can get to blind Eli to minister to him. But he's also maybe sleeping, if not in the very holy place where the table of showbread is located, where the altar of incense is located, and where the seven-pronged lampstand that burned 24-7 is located. If he's not there, he's in the very next room. The, just under, just across from the tent flap. And so the text says that that's where Samuel was lying, and he was lying there before the lamp of God had gone out. Now that's a Hebrew way of saying it was probably late morning, late early morning, like 3, 4, 5 a.m., early morning, because one of the duties of the priest was to come in and replenish the oil that kept the lamps burning. And so at this time, it would begin to burn low. So that's what's happening. It's a night scene. Everything is quiet. I mean, you're in Shiloh. Hey, it's not like living inside of Salem. No, you're 10, 15, 20 miles. You're 25 miles away from Jerusalem, the nearest big city. And it's dark and it's quiet. And can you see the flickering lamp on the tent flap? And the, it's the only light. Samuel was lying down in the temple. And the, the voice comes. The Lord calls him. Verse 4. The Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. Hineni in Hebrew. Very same response that Abraham gave when God called him in Genesis 22. Response of other people, including Isaiah, when God called him in Isaiah 6. Here I am. And he assumed that Eli called him. Now here's what's important. The voice of the Lord was so normal of a voice that Samuel assumed it was not only the voice of a human being, but it could be the voice of Eli calling him. And so he runs to Eli and said, you called me. You know, if you watch the uh, animated versions, you know, get on YouTube or whatever, watch the animated versions of, of these, the story of Samuel and God calling him, it's really kind of interesting. Because a lot of them, you know, God has the big, deep voice. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it's like, Samuel, Samuel, you know. I mean, it's like Darth Vader, you know. Luke, you are my son, you know. No, that's not how God called him. He didn't realize that it was the Lord calling. 
He assumed it was Eli, and so he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back, lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called. Now, there's a little difference here. In the previous call, there is no statement in quotations of what God called him. Called his name, probably, but it's not stated. Now there's a shift, and we are told the Lord called him, and here comes his name, Samuel. So once again, he got up, ran to Eli. Here I am, you called. Eli said, no, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he, he comes back, and the third time the Lord called. And we're told before that third time in verse 7 something very important. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now wait a minute. Samuel is serving the Lord and has been for a few years now. Even though he's a child, 12, 13, 14 years of age, he's been serving the Lord. But he still doesn't know the Lord. What does that, what does that mean? It means he doesn't know the voice of the Lord. He doesn't know what it's like for the Lord to speak to him directly. He doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of experience of direct contact with the Lord in that way. He doesn't have that yet. He's about to, but he doesn't have that yet. If somebody calls you on the phone, and you answer the phone, and they say, Hey, how you doing? You may say, Fine, but if you don't recognize their voice, you may say, Oh, I'm doing fine. Who is this? Oh, well, this is, and they give their name. Oh, yeah, well, how are you doing? You know. But if the phone rings and it's somebody you know because you know their voice, they don't have to tell you who they are and you don't have to ask them who they are. When Kate calls me, I don't have to look at the phone to see her name on the number or recognize the number or anything. I don't have to do any of that. If I pick up the phone, her voice is immediately, I know who she is. Samuel didn't yet know who the Lord was. He'd not had that kind of revelation from God to him. So once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He ran to Eli. You called me. Eli now realizes God's calling him. And he says, go back and lie down. And if he calls again, then you say this. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Oh, get those words. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's the attitude that all of us need to have. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down. Now the Bible says, the Lord came, look at the verbs piling up, stood and called. Now it's not just the voice of the Lord, it's an actual, what we call a theophany. It's God Himself who is coming to stand there. It's more than a vision it's an actual, the actual presence of the Lord and the voice of the Lord. The Lord came, stood, and called as before. And this time he not only calls his name once, he calls it twice. Samuel, Samuel. Every time there's a call of anybody in the Old or New Testament, when their name is called twice. It's an interesting study. You ought to make it sometime. Look at who the Lord calls twice. And it's always a significant earth-changing, life-changing moment when that occurs. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, Speak, for your servant is listening. He doesn't even say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Probably because of his reverence for the name of God, he's afraid to say the name of God. 
Eli told him, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel says, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord speaks and reveals himself to Samuel for the very first time. And what a harsh message it is. Samuel, I'm about to do to Eli what I promised. This is my first message to you. Isn't it interesting the Lord doesn't say, Samuel, you're the next Billy Graham. Samuel, we're about to have revival. You're my man, Samuel. Samuel, you don't know it yet, but you are the midpoint. You are the bridge between the judges. You're the last of the judges, Samuel, and you're the first of the prophets. Later on, Samuel, when people talk about you, when New Testament writers later write about you, they're going to say that you are the first of the prophets. They're going to call you, they're going to say, Samuel and the prophets. You're going to be not only my priest, you're not not only going to be my first great prophet, A long line of prophets will follow you, Samuel, to whom I will speak like I'm speaking to you. Not only will all of that be true, but you're going to close out the period of the judges and you're going to help me. You're going to be my man to speak to and anoint the first king of Israel. Samuel is a crucial figure in the Old Testament. And he begins his ministry. God's call comes to him and says, Speak, Lord. He says to the Lord, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then after that, Samuel continued his work. He got up the next morning, opened the Lord, the door of the house of the Lord. He did what he had always done. No change. No pride. You know, look at me now. I'm the next guy. None of that. He's just going about doing his business. Eli comes. What's going on? What did God say to you? Tell me now. He uses that Hebrew oath formula. If you do not tell me exactly what he said, may, may the Lord do to you and worse, you know, type thing. That's the typical oath formula that's used in Hebrew. And Sam, Samuel tells him everything. Eli says he's Lord, he can do what he wants. Can you imagine what it was like for Samuel to tell Eli, the man that he loved, the man that had trained him, but to tell him the message of the Lord? How hard that would have been? Can you imagine? Just a quick aside, but pastors have to tell the word of the Lord to people even no matter how hard that word of the Lord is. They have to preach the whole counsel of God. They have to say everything. They have to preach all the promises and all the warnings. They have to preach law and they have to preach the gospel. They preach it all. They have to preach the whole nine yards of all of God's revelation. And so Samuel gives everything God said to him without changing a word. He tells everything that he had heard. That's what true prophets do. Now he knows the voice of the Lord. And then the passage ends like this, verse 19. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. Look at that. All Israel from Dan, that's the top northernmost section of Israel where Mount Hermon is located in the tribe of Dan, all the way to the southern tip of Israel, Beersheba, all, everybody up and down knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. This passage began, this chapter began with the word of the Lord is rare. Now it ends with the word of the Lord is regular. The word of the Lord is coming on a regular basis from God to Samuel, through him, to all of the people, because God revealed himself to Samuel there by God's word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. It is an amazing, amazing chapter.
So what is God saying to us tonight in it? What does this have to do with us tonight? It has everything to do with our hearing the voice. Everything to do with our listening to God. Everything to do with being able to say, like young Samuel said, and constantly being able to say, every moment of every day, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel had been given to God. He had been raised in God's house. He was doing God's work. When he, the Lord first called him, he thought it was Eli. He said, here I am. When he finally realized the Lord is calling, he said, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. There are four things I see that Samuel had. must be true of each of us tonight. These are very simple, nothing earth-shattering. But it is so fundamental that we listen to the voice of God. And the first is, Samuel had a hearing ear. He listened. You notice how Jesus says many times in the Gospels, He that has an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you have the physical apparatus of two ears to listen, to hear, make sure you listen. You're not just hearing audible sounds. Make sure you're listening to what God is saying. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Samuel had a hearing ear. He had a responsive heart. He was a young boy with a responsive heart. A hearing ear, a responsive heart. Do you? Do you have a responsive heart? He also had a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. He's not a know-it-all. He's not a let me, you know, listen, Lord, your servant speaks. Which is the way it is to many of us, of many of us. No, and number four, he had a submissive spirit, a submissive mind. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Now, God is not speaking audibly to you, is he? But he is speaking. And where is he speaking to you today? Where is he speaking to me today? Where does the voice of the Lord, where is the voice of the Lord heard today? And the answer to that, it is heard in his word. In his word. This is where God speaks. When you read this word, it is the voice of God speaking. When you hear this word taught in a Bible study, or you hear it preached in a sermon, this is the voice of the Lord speaking. This is the word of God. And it's not just the word of God. These are the very words of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's verbal, plenary, and verbally inspired. All of it is inspired and all the words are inspired. It's the word of God. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. This is the voice of God speaking whenever we read it, whenever we hear it. And when we come in contact with this word, whether in our personal reading of the Bible, hearing of a lesson, or listening to a sermon, it should always be with the attitude, speak Lord, your servant is listening. God will always speak to you through his word. His word is ever living. That's why the book of Hebrews says when the Old Testament is quoted, though it was written a thousand years or more earlier, but when the author of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament, he uses language that says, and the word says of the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, God's word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Anytime you encounter the word of God, you are encountering the voice of God. The voice is speaking. Are you listening? God speaks through his word. But so many of us are not listening, are we? So many of us do not hear as we ought to hear. And that's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 2 warns believers. And so this morning we went New Testament 
closed in the Old Testament. We're going to be go. We're in the Old Testament tonight, but we're going to close in the New Testament. So in Philippians or in Hebrews, chapter two, we read these words, verse one. For this reason, we must pay close attention to the things that we've heard, so that we not drift away. What are the things that we've heard there? Chapter 1, it's all the Word of God and God's speech to us in His living Word, capital W, the Lord Himself. Because Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 1, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But now in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. Look at that. It doesn't say God revealed Himself. That's what it means, but it doesn't say that. No, it says God spoke. To us in Christ. Christ is God's speech. And the word of God is God's speech. The living word, Jesus, and the written word, Scripture. This is the voice of God. This is the speech of God. And we better listen. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, We must pay close attention to the stuff we've heard, things we've heard, so that we will not drift away. Question is, are you drifting tonight? There is the deadly danger of drifting spiritually for all of us who are believers. And what causes that drift? Notice he says in verse 2, If that message spoken through angels was legally binding in the Old Testament, every transgression, every disobedience received a just punishment. Look at verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect that voice? How will we escape if we neglect this great salvation? What causes spiritual drifting? Why are we not listening? And the answer is neglect. Neglect. Neglecting the things of God, neglecting the Word of God, failing to listen to God, doing exactly the opposite of what Samuel did. Samuel said, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And God used him mightily in the Old Testament. Not one single negative comment is made about Samuel in the Old Testament. He's one of the few characters of which that is true. He was the epitome of a godly man. And it's true, by the way, for two reasons. Number one, he listened to the Word of God. And number two, we are told he was a great man of prayer. The two things that we need, listening to God as His Word comes to us, speaking back to God in prayer, those were the characteristics of Samuel's life. And they should be of our life. And this is what the author of Hebrews is warning us here. We better pay close attention to things, everything we hear, so we don't drift. So the fact of the matter is tonight, I pray it's not true, but maybe some of you are drifting. You're drifting spiritually, and if that's true, it may be because you're not listening. Oh, you have ears to hear, but you're not listening. You're not listening to the Word. You're not taking it in. You're not obeying it. When you read it privately, maybe you're not reading it as much as you used to. When you hear it preached, maybe you don't take it as seriously as you ought. And when that's true, you begin to drift spiritually. It's the deadly danger of drifting spiritually. It's the possibility for every one of us. Don't let that happen to you. Be like young Samuel. Pay attention. I'm, I'm almost through. I know the hour's late, but let me just... I get to fly all over the place to speak to people. And so Kate and I flew here, of course, from Dallas. One of the things I enjoy doing when we're on a flight, I've, I've done it for years, is I like to watch what people are doing when the flight attendants are giving all of the uh, safety feature, all of their spiel about, here's what you need to know about the plane. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you aboard American Airlines Flight 1513, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, Portland, Oregon. 
we'd like to acquaint you with the safety features of this aircraft. You know, your seat is equipped with a seat belt. Please make sure the buckle is securely fastened around your waist, you know, at all times. You know, in the unlikely event of loss of oxygen pressure or loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will appear. If you're traveling with an infant or a young child, please place the mask first over your face and then over that of your infant or your child. The oxygen mask may not inflate, but air is flowing, you know, continue to breathe normally. In the unlikely event of a water landing, your seat bottom cushion can be used as a flotation device. By the way, it's always there. I've wanted to stop. I've wanted to stand up. I haven't done it yet, but I've wanted to stand up and say, time out. Did you hear what you just said? In the unlikely event of a water landing, it's sort of like the pilot, Fred, looks over to the co-pilot, Ralph, and says, hey, Ralph, why don't we do it differently today? Let's land over in that lake today. Folks, if that plane goes down in water somewhere, that's not a landing. That's called a crash <laughs> is what that is. It's just crazy. So I'm watching what people are doing during all this time. And you know what? Almost nobody's paying one bit of attention. Two old boys over here, they're talking. They're not paying any attention. Two ladies over there, they're talking. And this old boy over here has got his cap down, pulled over his head, and he's already asleep. Somebody's reading People magazine over there, and somebody else reading you know, GQ over here, Wall Street Journal, whatever. Virtually nobody within my sight range, virtually nobody's paying one bit of attention. You know why? Two reasons. Number one, they've heard it all before. And number two, <clears throat> they don't consider the danger serious enough to warrant their attention. The same is true for Christians too often. Well, I know we have this special summer series. Our pastors asked us to be here for all that. Going to have guest speakers in, preachers in, talk about godliness, talk about these spiritual additives. But hey, you know what? I've been in this church. My great-grandfather laid the foundation stone of this church. You know, <laughs> And so there's nothing those preachers are going to say I haven't heard before. I've heard it all before. And then secondly, you don't take seriously enough that it's the voice of God speaking to you. It's not the preacher. We're just the delivery boys. There's nothing special, unique, wonderful about us. The power is here. The word is His. All we do is deliver the news on your doorstep. That's our responsibility. But it's your responsibility to hear. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. There's not, a, there's not a drought of the Word of God today because we have the Scripture. But there is a drought of the Word of God in many places because God's men, like Hophni and Phinehas, they're not living it and they're not preaching it. We could spend a whole hour talking about that. But also, let's not just talk about preachers, and I can do that because I am one. But let's talk about you. Let's talk about church members. We better pay close attention to the things we've heard to the things we've heard, lest we drift. God's doing some wonderful things in your church right now. Don't drift. Don't say, hey, good things are happening, we can kind of cruise. Don't do that. Keep a listening ear, like Samuel, firmly to the Word of God. When you read it privately, when you hear it preached, Hear, listen for the voice, the voice 
of the Lord. Listen for the voice. Hear the voice. Respond to the voice. Make it your attitude. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, allow me to pray for you that that would be the case. That we would be people who are obedient to the Lord, listening to Him, with the same spirit and attitude of young Samuel, who said, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Before I voice our prayer in these moments of silence, would you say that to the Lord in your heart? In whatever words you want to use, however you want to say it. Express that to the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen.